we're, we're pausing in Ephesians because it's Mother's Day, which is a big holiday. It's very important. And, uh, and so uh, it's important for us to, to take some time to talk about uh, mothers and motherhood and, and, and women especially. Um, I'm, a lot of people look at me and they're like, you, you, know, you know, how sensitive are you? I'm going to prove how sensitive I am to you. Uh, but seriously, I'm going to try. Um, I have uh, people ask, you know, if I, if I were to ask myself, what do you think about when you think about motherhood? Uh, there's two images that I have um, that, 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 that get me. The first is, uh, I, the way I remember this is almost in the third person. It's like I'm watching a, a movie of it. But I think I was in uh, college. I was home from, from college. And, and if you know, uh, in college I grew my hair really long and, and had an earring because I was a rebel. <laughs> I mean, wow. Um, and so when I got home, my, my dad was like, No. Uh, I served in the armed forces, and you will not look like that in my home. And so uh, I remember this time uh, that I, I had just gotten home. I think it was from my sophomore year of college, and you know I had the the, the ten o'clock shadow um, and or the three day shadow, whatever it is, and the long hair. And I, I got a haircut, and I took the earring out, and I shaved, um, and I took a shower, and I put on. I had for some reason had to put on uh, nice clothes, and I walked into uh, my bedroom where my mother was doing something on a computer, and she turned around and she saw me. Uh, for the first time really in a year, uh, sort of looking presentable. And I remember her uh, beginning, like, she kind of did one of these, like, hand to chest. And I could see she was crying. And and she said, Oh my Lord, you're a man now. She was wrong, of course, but... um, (laughs) But I appreciate the sentiment. I know what she meant uh, better now than I did then, but uh, it, it's because she knew me when I was very wee, and she saw me grow up, and, and she was, it, it was that moment where she said, I've got to let go now, that, that, that he's going to do his own thing. And she saw the, the potential, I think, for, for me to, become, to, to grow into the man that she and my father hoped that I would become. The second image uh, I, I have is from just a few years ago, four years ago, uh, three years ago, four years ago, um, just after Alice had been born. Some of you may not know this, but uh, Aaron only got, I think, four weeks of maternity leave, which is not that long. And um, I remember, <laughs> like it was yesterday, it was one of the most difficult things I've ever seen, honestly, uh, the night before Aaron was going to go back to work. And, um, I mean, first, you know, she was looking to me to be the primary caretaker of our child, Alice. A frightening proposition, I'm sure. Moreover, um, she had this, I, I just, I, it's, hard to, it's hard to explain, but she had this connection. Um, and I saw it very vividly. She, um, we'd put uh, Alice to bed, and she simply sat down in the hallway of the apartment And she began to weep because she couldn't be there for Alice. Um, I share those images with you because I think you probably agree with me that motherhood is sacred and it's beautiful and it's incredibly powerful. I'm also sharing those images with you today because we need to be very, very well aware that God's call to motherhood is being abandoned in the world we live in. Motherhood is under assault 
I mean, crazy. To, to even conceive of this is frightening to me to think about it. You know, if there's one institution that has been universal throughout human history and culture, it has been the reverence that we have for motherhood. And yet, increasingly, especially in um, mainstream feminist and LGBTQI discourse, motherhood is actually being um, denigrated by our cultural elites. So we're going to look at a little bit of that. And then we're going to look at what God's image, God's vision for motherhood is. And then we're going to think about what it looks like to recover that call in our lives. And this isn't just a message for uh, women who, who are mothers. This is, uh, you'll, you'll, you'll see it, you'll hear it as we go through, the, especially the text of Genesis when we get to it. You're going to hear that there's a call to, to all women, whether you have kids or not, to be a part of um, God's vision of motherhood. So let's first look at uh, what um, the culture I- is doing. And this is going to be the first thing in your note sheet. Two contemporary critiques of motherhood. This is primarily a feminist critique. It's number one, motherhood is easy and selfish. Yeah. Motherhood is easy and selfish. A few of you chuckled. No, really, this is a contemporary critique. Um, I, uh, my mother-in-law, Jane, uh, pointed out to me this, uh, this amazing thing. This a woman, Megan Foy, uh, she has a new novel, and the title of the novel is called Meternity. It's uh, it's it's a take on maternity, and the premise of the mo- of the novel is that is that women who don't have kids should be allowed to have a mater- a maternity leave uh, to to spend some time, uh, you know, I, I guess not raising a child uh, after they haven't had one, and um, it's really it's. I find it a little bit personally offensive just because of that um, story I just told you. But it, it's great. When you read her interview, she has this amazing quote. She says, it's just not fair that um, only mothers get to have a, quote, a time, a time for blissful reflection. <laughs> uh, as you may have guessed, she hasn't had kids. Uh, yeah. Um, and, and to be fair, in her defense, a lot of her, her book is really a, cr- a critique of American work habits and, and the way that uh, we, we sort of treat work and, and, and kind of a, a national indictment of workaholism. And yet, and yet, even if you take that into account, you have to wonder, doesn't that seem to radically devalue what happens in motherhood? To even think like that? That, that, um, that what's going on during maternity leave is anything like that. What does it reveal about this thinking of this, um, this, this, the, our, some of our cultural elites, you know, from New York City? Uh, what does it, what does it uh, tell you? It, it gives you a couple of underlying assumptions that they have about motherhood. Um, it's about personal fulfillment. Mothering is me time. Motherhood is a sabbatical from the real pressures of the real world. If you want to get out of the rat race, have kids. <laughs> oh, all right. As a, uh, as a longtime primary caretaker of uh, small children, no! <laughs> Wrong. Motherhood under assault. That's number one um, to, of these two basic contemporary critiques. Motherhood's easy and selfish. Um, the next one is uh, even, in, in my opinion, a little more frightening. Motherhood is damaging and unimportant. Yeah, this is real. This is real. Something that people are saying in our culture. Motherhood is damaging and unimportant. That's the second thing in your note sheets. Have you heard this term? The term is breeders. Um, breeders, this is a derogatory term for, um, uh, 
for um, childbearing couples that was developed in the uh, late 80s and the early 90s by um, primarily the, primarily the lesbian, gay, lesbian, uh, bisexual community um, to describe people who um, went a sort of a more traditional route of, of childbearing and childrearing. Um, and at the time, uh, it was less possible for um, gay, lesbian, bisexual couples to um, raise children, and so they developed this, 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 this term. Oh, those are breeders. Um, it was a, a kind of a derogatory term. It was supposed to pick out the fact, the way that, um, from the, the perspective of the non-child-bearing, non-child-rearing, um, the way that, uh, that parents obsess over their kids and idolize their children. Um, that that their, your whole life is reconfigured around these others, these others that aren't yourself. And that there was something sick, something deviant about that, something wrong that um, this community of people had identified and, and, and began to, um, to, to look down on. Well, as it happens, this term has actually been uh, picked up also in uh, mainstream academic environmentalist discourse. Uh, they, they talk about breeders as those who are damaging the world by having children because there's a fear that the world is becoming overpopulated. And so every time you have children, you're actually endangering um, Gaia or Mother Earth. You're, you're um, putting it in danger. And so it's, it's become even a slogan um, in, in these two communities uh, to look down on motherhood. So and that's interesting. Breeders, what are some underlying assumptions? What are some underlying assumptions about motherhood that these terms bring out? Well, uh, first off, it's unimportant to be a mother. It's not, it's not a valued thing. Um, oh, those are just breeders. They're doing something uh, wasteful, uh, something... Uh, bleh. Yeah. Or motherhood distracts from real concerns or issues. The, the problem that, that, that um, these communities have with, with breeders is that we're so focused on kids that we're not able to focus on the real, you know, actual issues of the day, as it were. And, 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 and so we're not worried about, about um, whatever it is that social justice demands because we're too focused on, on our kids. And then at the worst, I mean, it's contributing to the destruction of the world that you and your children are a threat. That's two contemporary critiques, real-world critiques, critiques that are um, rampant on um, uh, college campuses um, and in the cultural elite uh, the centers, of, the thought centers of, of, of our country. Um, motherhood's easy and selfish. Motherhood is damaging and unimportant. And it brings up a few questions for us. You know, this motherhood under assault. What lies underneath these critiques? I think there's something theological going on. Why is motherhood denigrated in the contemporary West among our cultural elites? What is going on spiritually that leads to this kind of mentality? How do we get here? Well, I want you to hold those questions in your thought, in your mind, because we're going to revisit them after we look at today's text, which I think is going to shed light, perhaps surprisingly. And so if you would not mind, please stand and let's read from Genesis 1, 26 to 28, where we hear about the image of God, and I submit to you God's call to motherhood. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God did. God created man or human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created him or them. Male and female, he created them. In his image, they were male and female. Then God blessed them. He gave a blessing to them. And he said to them, 
perhaps on the grounds of this blessing, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. You may be seated. I admit to you this does not sound like a mother's a mother text so much as perhaps for those of you who are familiar with the scriptures, Hannah or perhaps Mother Mary, Mary the mother of Jesus, some of those texts. Uh, but I, I, I think that there's something really critical here, especially if we look at the Imago Dei, that's Latin for image of God, in Genesis 1, the image of God, which we heard in that text. So um, let's, let's, let's look closely at this Imago Dei, image of God. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Um, I, I, I just try to bring out the way that this is actually um, the language in Hebrew of familial res- resemblance. It's the same thing as when, when um, I, I say that Olivia has Aaron's eyes, right? She resembles Aaron. Um, or, that, or when sometimes people look at Alice's eyebrows, I love you, honey, and say, um, those resemble Tom's eyebrows. She resembles Tom. Uh, little caterpillar type deal there. Um, it's a familial resemblance. But this should strike us as a little strange because God obviously doesn't have a body, right? And so when, when God, so I said there, let, uh, uh, to resemble us, God's saying, let us make human beings in such a way that they, that they look like the Godhead, right? But that's weird. And so since it's not a body, what God's talking about is that human beings are going to share in God's character, in God's mission, These are the ways, by the way that we live and act and by what we do, we're going to be like God. We're going to resemble God. Let's go on. Uh, The the, the text says, Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the cattle, all the creeping things. Um, You might even maybe use the word govern. Uh, Dominion sounds to us a lot like power that oppresses. You know, like, I'm having dominion over this thing. It's very kind of archaic. We might think of governance. Um, Governance... Ideally, and sometimes I wonder if it's actually happening in our country, but governance is supposed to be the responsible use of power to develop and to cultivate the lives of whomever is in your dominion. Dominion and governance, they're synonyms, but in, our, in English, uh, governance or governing has a little bit of a better uh, connotation. And, and so, presumably, something about the image of God, some of the way that we resemble God, is in the way that we govern over the fish of the sea, the birds, the air, the, and, and all of that. Creation needs governance, not cruel abuse. And so that's a, a, a point there. The way we resemble God in our call to, is in our call to graciously govern over the created order. We're simply following in God's footsteps. God, of course, has already done this, right? God does this in the heavenly realms. Heaven is ordered and governed by God in, in, in a way that, that benefits all of the denizens or all the people who live there. And likewise, God has demonstrated this governance in creation. Creation is orderly. It's not um, utterly chaotic. It's, it, it, it follows in, in, in his patterns. There's places for, for, um, for uh, flourishing, for, for new life and surprises. There's a little bit that's, uh, that's free. And yet at the same time, it also has a structure to it in the way that God creates. Moreover, in the text right now, we're going to see that God creates Eden, right? Um, Eden is a place where God's governance has cultivated the land so that the land is not wild and unruly and untamed, but instead it, it flourishes and it brings out life and it's a good place for people to live. This is how God governs. And God is saying, if you want to resemble me, human beings, you're going to go out and do the same thing in the world. So God created man in his own image. 
In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Very interesting, right? Interesting. God says, I'm gonna, I want you to go and, and resemble me by governing in this way. And then he makes male and female. A poor plan, if you ask me, would have been much better to create an army of robots, little god robots, godbots, that would go around and do to the, to the rest of the world exactly as God had done to Eden. Um, and yet, for some reason, God goes male and female. This is a little weird. And so we say, uh, the way we resemble God is in our call to graciously govern over the created order, and to fulfill this task of graciously governing over the created order, humans needed to be both male and female. Maybe we can figure out why that is. Why is it? Why does it have to be male and female? We'll just uh, finish out the text. Then God blessed them, 28, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Um, Subdue, again, a little bit... uh, The reason the text uses the word subdue and and why that's a little weird for us is uh, is that we tend to live in places like Orange County. Um, and if you've noticed, it's, our lawns are very nice. Um, the, the, if you go to Disneyland, the bushes are, are cut into, the, into shapes of chipmunks and whatnot. It's, it's very ordered, <laughs> the way we experience the natural world. That's not the world in the ancient Near East. In the ancient Near East, when you go into the wilderness, it's going to kill you. Uh, it's really dangerous. And so you, <laughs> when they say subdue, all that really means is cultivate it. Like, like, take back the power so that the, it's not so dangerous anymore. Um, so that it could be a place like this, where it's beautiful and it flourishes and people can live in harmony. That's what, um, and so I just, you know, cultivate rather than subdue, but the meaning's very similar. Um, but you'll notice the answer to the question, right? Be fruitful and multiply. In order for this mission or task to go out, we're going to have male and female because God is giving it into our power to fulfill the plan. We don't have God bots because God's going to let us procreate. God's going to let us be responsible for having the, the, for making the, the, the gardeners to go out into the world. So it's important for us to be fruitful and multiply. This is the reason for the biological sexes. Gracious governance requires more people committed to God's ways. More people requires reproduction. God wants to set up franchises. Yeah. Basically, if you think of the way McDonald's does things, or In-N-Out, that's how God envisions human life in the world. He wants you to go and start your franchise and then send out your kids to go out and continue the franchise. A whole bunch of people governing the whole earth, cultivating it the way that God has governed and cultivated heaven, the created order, the Garden of Eden. And this requires something critical. It requires that we have kids that remain committed to that vision. The kids themselves have to buy in. And they've got to say, yes, I want to fulfill that call. I see what God's doing in the world and I want to be a part of it. This is God's vision for human life. This is on your note sheet. Human life is missional. Human life is missional. We go out to govern all of creation according to God's nature and character. Human life is missional. And therefore, this is the next thing on your note sheets, therefore, raising children to know God's nature, character, and vision is essential to human life. 
It's core to who we are as people that we participate in this. We should note, however, that it says raising children, not bearing children. Those are not exactly the same thing. Because the women who don't give birth are still mothers in the community of faith. The community needs people who rear, who protect, who provide. Uh, I, for me, the paradigm of this is, is really uh, Marianne. Um, uh, Marianne did have children, but it, her, her, her final work in this church, Marianne Fisher, her final work was to kind of be a mother to all of us. You know? To, to raise all of us up to be the way God wanted us to be. I, I feel like in a lot of ways, Marianne was mom to me. And I know there are others, pe- other people in this church who feel exactly the same way. Because she was concerned about raising us, rearing us, protecting us, and in some cases providing for us the way that any mother would. That's God's vision for human life. But throughout history, we've seen two secular distortions of this vision to the point that it's now almost totally lost amongst our cultural elites. Two secular distortions of this vision. One, creation, this is in your note sheets, is a means for human happiness or satisfaction. The whole point of the created world is for me to enjoy and to have fun. Um, this, I think, is very prevalent, especially in the First World West, especially in the most developed and the wealthiest parts of the First World West. We might think of places like Los Angeles or, or New York City, Chicago, South Orange County. Um, and it, it, it's the idea is you go and you master nature, you master the creator, you make it perfect, just the way, way you want it, kind of like Disneyland, and then you go play in it. And you have fun. Because the creation itself is just a means for your enjoyment, your satisfaction. It, this this inc- it includes some of what God's call, God's vision to go and cultivate, but the purpose is not to govern rightly, but to enjoy it, to have fun. And notice this, if your whole point, the way you approach the created order is just for your own fun and happiness and pleasure, guess what you don't need to do? Procreate. You don't need to expand it. Orange County is perfect. You don't need to worry about it. And plus, when you die, who cares? It's over for you. So why do you need anyone to carry on the legacy, to continue the vision, to move forward, to expand? There's no reason for it. You have no need of children or mothers. If we do have kids, and you might hear uh, a little bit of me-eternity in here, if you do have kids, it's so that they can make you happy. They're like... (laughs) Scott laughed, that's funny. Uh, if you have kids, they're, um, they're just a means to your own enjoyment. Which is a, a strange way to go about things, but it, it is, um, there are, there's even a book that I read, um, I can't remember exactly, oh, the title is Selfish Reasons to Have Kids. Yeah. R- really short book. Um, No, but it was so funny. I mean, there's a lot of, actually, some wisdom in the book, but what's so interesting about it, 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 the way it appeals to us. It appealed to me. I was like, is there any, what's in it for me? (laughs) Like, oh, well, you're going to have, you know, little slaves to do all the house chores once they get to a certain age. Like, yes! That's a great reason to have kids. But think about that. That's what our culture does with childbearing. 
Uh, another um, problem, another distortion, secular distortion of God's vision. Creation is a God to be served at human expense. This is in your note sheets. Creation is a God to be served at human expense. All human life is to be subordinated to the perceived needs of the earth. In ancient times, the earth uh, was perceived to be a god or goddesses or a pantheon of gods and goddesses. Um, and, and some of these gods and goddesses uh, requ- <laughs> wow. um, actually required a child sacrifice. So in the ancient world, uh, especially the god Molech, um, demanded that in order for the earth to be happy or full, that uh, you would kill children. That's uh, um, much of the Old Testament actually is, is, is against this uh, practice. But you can see how it works. If you think of the earth itself, creation itself, as the, the ends, well then human life is just a means to making the earth whatever the earth is supposed to be, the creation is supposed to be. And so human life becomes radically devalued. Um, I think uh, in in our current context, we we do have people who um, who think that that they're, um, they need to subordinate human life to protecting Mother Earth Gaia or um, the created order. Humans are damaging it in irreparable ways, and so human life has to be stopped. This is a reason for lifelong birth control, um, for going ch- uh, raising children in order to further a cause of social justice of some sort. Um, it can be used uh, that way. That logic can exist. Maybe you hear a little bit of that breeder's critique in this. Well, having seen God's vision uh, in this text, let, remember we asked some questions earlier. Let's revisit those questions that we asked, um, this, this kind of theological underpinning. It says, what underlies these critiques of motherhood? Why is motherhood denigrated in the contemporary West, especially by our cultural elites? Let's remember what the cr- critiques are. Motherhood is easy and selfish. Motherhood is damaging and unimportant. What lies behind those? I submit to you that the post-Christian West has exchanged God's vision for creation for two secular distortions. Creation is a means for human happiness, and creation is a God to be served. If creation is a means uh, to, to fun, well then, whatever those crazy mothers are doing must be easy and selfish. Because why else would they be doing it? If creation, if the earth, is itself a god, breeding is bad because it's idolatry. You're putting something before true god, earth, creation, Gaia. If this is the air we breathe in the West, if this is the culture I think that there are some very specific challenges that are facing mothers, Christian moms, Christian and moms in the Marianne sense of the word, those who take on the task of rearing children so that they go out and fulfill God's vision for the world to cultivate a place of flourishing in God's name. I think there are three major challenges that I've, I've been thinking about. When the culture devalues children, it's natural for us to react. And one of the ways that Christians have reacted is we idolize children. That's number one. The challenges for Christian moms today, idolizing children. 
You see, we, we look at the way that we're being attacked by the culture and we say, you know what, forget you. I'm going to make it all about these kids. They are valuable. They are real. They are so important. And those are all true facts. Those are all true facts. But we can very easily slip into a, a, a situation where we're putting them honestly, honestly, before God. We're forgetting that our, our, we're not, it's not just about them. They are, our, they are a part of God's vision for the world. We're, we're, we're not, um, you know, kids aren't God, okay? Kids are, are God's way of fulfilling his call to cultivate the creation. We are not called to make our kids happy here. That may be shocking, but it's true. We are called to train them to buy in to God's vision for their lives. That's what your motherhood call is. Not to make your kids happy, although hopefully that happens, but to get them to buy in to this vision, God in cultivating the world in God's name and ultimately salvation in Christ. A second potential problem, ignoring children. Ignoring children. This is something um, that I think Christian moms today have to be aware of. It, it seems crazy, but if you hear these lies long enough, you start to think that your kids are a barrier to your satisfaction, your happiness. You're like, that's it. I need to have fun too. I went to college with this kid named Drew. Awesome kid. I asked him about his parents. He said, I don't really know them that well, but I do know my nanny, and she was great. He told, this, uh, he told about how um, his nanny, an African-American woman, had raised him. Christian family, by the way. Um, and she tra- taught him to, uh, to love the Lord because his parents were too busy. Um, they were going to cocktail parties and participating in a number of you know, social events. And um, I, I think they were big uh, charitable giving, uh, philanthropy. They were very, very wealthy. Um, and and he, so he said, I, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know them that well. But they seem like nice folks. Yeah, a natural go-along to get-along response to this culture is to ignore your kids so you can have the fun that you deserve to have. Because really, that's what they're there for, right? That's what the culture says. That's a challenge for us. The last one, I think, is maybe, um, for me, the, most, uh, the one that hits the closest. Risking children. Number three, risking children. If you're like me, you know that our culture is set set on derailing our kids from following God's vision for their lives. That is like point number one for the culture. And so it turns out that having kids and investing in them and being intentional, it's a risk. It's an act of faith. Because if you're like me, you worry that they're not going to make it. And so you may even get to the point where you think, "Uh, better not try. Too dangerous. Uh, better, better just wait. Put it off. Uh, it's too much. I think if anyone knows what this is like, her name is Eve. If you get to Genesis 4, verse 26, you find out that Eve went and knew Adam again, and she conceived and bore Seth. Seth is her third child, because the first two didn't work out well. Eve's sitting there, and Cain murders Abel. And then Cain goes, and he becomes a violent man uh, who rejects everything that God has for human life. He's cursed. Um, and then Eve has to decide, is she going to participate again in God's call, God's vision? Is she going to take that risk? Because, man, it hurts when your kids depart. 
Or is she going to trust that God in his sovereignty and in his love for the world can take even very scary, very broken situations and out of them put his plan for salvation back on track? If you're thinking about having kids, it's a risk and it's an act of faith. Is God big enough to carry him through? Ultimately, Eve believed in God's vision for human life. And uh, if, the, if the attendance in our, in our children's classes are any indication, uh, we do too. Uh, I, there, there's something about this place, you know, get, get them going, get those kids in there. And um, after all is said and done, you know, worrying about idolizing, worrying about ignoring, worrying about risk, worrying about this, worrying about that. Um, one of the things that's so weird, and I think back um, to Aaron uh, sitting in that hallway, uh, is that God has placed it in our hearts and in our blood, especially the ladies, to nurture, to care, to protect, to embrace. I think one of the things we just got to do is go with that. Just go with it. It's already there. It's part of being human. God's put it in. And if you go with that, I, I think that you, and you remember that, yeah, it's God's, she's God's, he's God's, then, then you're not going to have to, you won't end up idolizing your kids, you won't end up ignoring your kids, and, and you're going to have the faith and the love to risk your kids and to invest in them and to, and to see them go and become God's uh, vi- uh, vision of life for the world. I think that can happen if we just go with what God's already put in our hearts. Let's pray. Father, we confess we live in a world um, that is radically devaluing, radically denigrating its mothers. God, we confess that that is a spiritual sickness uh, in this country, in the West, in the first world that is brought about by a misunderstanding or even rejection, rebellion against your vision for our lives. That our lives aren't about us. That our lives um, are not about the earth that our, our lives are about going and cultivating and creating um, a flourishing world in your name. And God, as part of that, we submit to you our mothers, those who bear children and those who raise children in this community of faith, those who put um, the kids first, those who put you first, and those who seek to nurture and bring them up in fear and admonition of you to imitate and mimic the character and love and nature of the cross. God bless our moms. May they be loved today. In Jesus' name, amen.